want to grab your Bible, um, or you've got it in these booklets here, and we're going to turn to Matthew 5, and we're going to read verses 1 to 3. That's Matthew 5, (coughs) verses 1 to 3. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wonderful, thank you very much. Um, this has been kind of a long time in planning. I think I was booked to speak a year ago, uh, and then obviously cancelled, and now we're here. And it's, it's wonderful to be with you all. I honestly can't remember that I have ever spoken from Scripture before in a place where at least some people can express either their excitement or their boredom by reclining or swivelling, <laughs> or, e- or even both at once. If you're sitting on a, like a, just a dull, ordinary, old-fashioned chair and you know, want to start swivelling and reclining, feel free to move forward. That would, that would be up to you. I, if you are swivelling and reclining, I'm going to assume that's excitement. Okay, <laughs> That's going that, to help me. So this weekend, four talks, and they are all from the beginning of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's Gospel. The Sermon on the Mount may well be the most famous block of teaching from Jesus that we get in the Gospels, because in this you you get some phrases that people still use even if they've barely heard of Jesus. Uh, Phrases like salt of the earth and turn the other cheek. Um, This sermon has given up, it's even shaped the English language. It's called a sermon, obvious reasons, it's a block of teaching, quite a long block, from Jesus, called the Sermon on the Mount, because as we've just heard, he, he goes up a mountainside to preach it. And we're going to spend the whole weekend just in the first 12 verses of this sermon. Um, if you've got a Bible open, you see a heading, you may well have a heading in your Bible. It says, The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. Beatitude, old English word meaning blessing blessing. And and that's the refrain that keeps coming, isn't it? Jesus keeps saying, blessed are, blessed are. Now, we've just helpfully had the first blessed saying read, and that's the one I'm going to focus on in this first talk. But I'd I'd like to read all of them, and I'll I'll read all of them through a few times uh, as we go through. It's, It's just kind of good they seep into us. So from verse 3, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This word keeps coming, blessed are, blessed are. We've got to think first, what does Jesus mean here by blessed? Let me tell you what he does not mean. He does not mean feeling blessed. At least that's not primary. He doesn't primarily mean feeling happy. There's a particular Greek word that Matthew used when he wrote this, in the Greek that he originally wrote it in. And just about all the good books on this agree that what it means is commended. To be congratulated. Doing well. That's why I gave the overall title for this weekend, Living Well. Living well in God's world. That's the, kind of, that's the sense of this word. I read a few things actually where some, some people said, um, if you really want to get to the heart of this, the best modern equivalent in English would be something Australians say. Are there any Australians in the house? Just, just one. Thanks for coming. I would never have guessed by your shirt that you were from. <laughs> okay, I'm in trouble now because you might go, no, we don't, we don't say that. Aussies say, good on you, right? On you, mate. Oh, go on, say it again. On you, mate. Yeah, like that. <laughs> I, I can't do that. I'm going to say, good on you. You might, where would you say that? I'm putting you on the spot here. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Your football team scores, you go, good on you for scoring. There's the sense of it. You're playing well, you're doing well, you're to be congratulated. The other team are a bunch of losers. My team, you are to be commended. That, that's, that's as close as we might get to what Jesus means when he says here, blessed. So do you see, it is not about how you feel on the inside subjectively. It is a verdict pronounced over you, from outside, on you, on your life, on the state of your heart, you're living well. Good on you. Now, up front I want to say what I'm not going to say this weekend. And the message is not going to be, okay Christians, see this, we've got to pull our socks up and get with this programme, otherwise there are some major blessings that God has got in the pipeline, but he's not going to pour them down to you. That is not the message of the Beatitudes to Christians. I've already um, signalled, it was helpful to be asked at the beginning, well, what is the key message? It is much more like comfort and reassurance to believers. Because look who Jesus is saying these Beatitudes to. Uh, they're in verse 1, he goes up on the mountainside, end of verse 1, his disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. He's talking here to people who have already committed themselves to following him. And he says to them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now if I asked you, who is in the kingdom of heaven? I think you probably know the answer to that. The answer is everybody who trusts in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus, you are in the kingdom of heaven Kingdom of heaven is Matthew's way of talking about the kingdom of God. 
Is there such a thing as a Christian who is not in the kingdom of God? No, because by definition to be a Christian is in the kingdom of God. So do you see here that the poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit. So who are the poor in spirit? Christians. Every Christian. Every single one. If you've been a Christian for 60 years or if you became a Christian yesterday. If it feels like you're following Christ going great guns and if it feels like I'm really struggling here. Uh, I hope Jesus isn't going to give up on me because I'm struggling. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. You're in the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, you are among those whom Jesus calls the poor in spirit. And as you go through all these beatitudes, I'm going to be saying, if you're a Christian, this is just you. It just is. Now, there may be times when you struggle to believe that. So, you know, when we come to beatitudes like, um, blessed are the merciful... And you think, yeah, if you'd seen me be really callous to that person yesterday. Or, you know, blessed are the pure in heart. At that point you're thinking, hey, if you could see my daydreams, you would think that is not me. But those doubts and those feelings, they are lying. Those feelings, they would be leading us astray. The big message here from Jesus, for everyone who has trusted in him, is comfort. It's reassurance. It's this is you. Now, of course, there's going to be a sense of this is you, so live it all the more. Yes, of course there's that. But it starts with this is you. So the blessing, if the first line of every beatitude is Christian, this is you, the blessing in the second half of every beatitude is simply this is yours. First line, this is you. Second line, so this is yours. Eternally, certainly. Forever, simply because you are the people described in the first line. So comfort and reassurance for the Christian, this is already you. These blessings, they're yours. The only job for the rest of life is stay like this. Don't lose who you are. Don't turn into something else. And that's... That's kind of what Jesus is going to say when he, the Beatitudes ends and he picks it, up, picks it up. You see verse 13? You are the salt of the earth. This is a summary of the Beatitudes. This is what you are. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? So don't let that happen to you. Now, so let's dig in a bit more. If that's kind of the big picture of what's going on and the kind of impact this is to have on us as believers, let's dig in a little bit to the one I'm going to focus on for the rest of my time tonight, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I've already dug in a little bit into what the word blessed means. So let's dig in a bit. What does poor in spirit mean here? I've already said, well, that's true of every single person who is a Christian. So it's not some special category of super-Christian. But which bit of being a Christian does poor in spirit describe? Let's, just, let's think about that for a moment. I guess someone might hear that phrase, poor in spirit, and think, is that, is that talking about the kind of people who like to go around saying, I'm worth nothing, everybody hates me, my kids don't listen to me, even the dog doesn't respect me? Is it people who struggle with low self-esteem? People who are just really shy. Is that who it is? No, that, that is not what being poor in spirit is about. You can have very low self-esteem and not be poor in spirit. You can think the world treads all over you 
and still not be poor in spirit. I think the best way to explain what poor in spirit is is just to tell a couple of stories from the Bible of people being it and doing it. Uh, First one, the prodigal son. Many of you will know that. It's from a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. Remember the uh, parable of the prodigal son? Prodigal means wasteful. This guy, he wants to start living the high life. So he goes and does something that you may never have dared to do. He goes to his dad and he says, you know all that money that I'm going to inherit when you cop it? Could I have that now while you're still alive? I I suspect many of us who were fathers, if our our children came to us asking that, we would have a one-word, two-letter answer to that. N-O. No. Not this dad. He gives him the money. And the son takes all the money and he goes off and he spends it buying every luxury his heart desires. He spends it indulging in every experience he wants to throw himself into. Till one day, guess what? The money runs out. And he's broke. And to make it worse, a famine has hit the land. He's got to stay alive. To stay alive, all he can do is get a job feeding pigs. And now the pigs are eating better than he is. And Jesus says in the story, he's on his own. There is no one who will give him a helping hand. And it's then that he gets his poor in spirit moment. It's when he says to himself, I'm going to go back to my father and I am going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That is his poor in spirit moment. You see, it's when he says, I deserve nothing. I have wasted everything. This was no one else's fault. No excuses. No pretending. I have nothing to bargain with. I'm simply going to say to my dad, I have come to you. Make me one of your servants. Now, translate that into a person's attitude, not to their earthly father, but to their father in heaven. And you've got what it is to be poor in spirit. Or think of Gideon, character in the Old Testament. He's another one with a a poor in spirit moment in the book of Judges. God says to Gideon, imagine if God said this to you. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. That's their enemy. Am I not sending you? You're the one I'm sending to, to save everybody. And Gideon replies... Lord, that is not a problem because you chose just the right guy. I could think of a whole bunch of losers who you could have chosen who could not have pulled this off, but but you came to the guy who can do this. Top job, Lord. Uh, Clearly, that, that is not what Gideon says. That would be the opposite of poor in spirit. Gideon says, pardon me, Lord, how can I save Israel? Doesn't that sound quaintly polite in our, in our English? P- pardon me, Lord. How can I save Israel? He says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. That's his tribe. I'm the least in my family. What he says is, Lord, I agree with you. Your people need saving, but you have chosen the wrong one to do this. My family, we got a lot of problems. And amongst the dysfunctions of our family, you'll find, Lord, that I am the biggest loser. 
That is poor in spirit. The prodigal son is poor in spirit. Gideon is poor in spirit. Actually, so is Jesus himself. You'll see that as we go through the Beatitudes. He doesn't just say this, he does it. In his own life, Jesus is pure, poor in spirit. A little bit later in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, Jesus will say, Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Where do you see that humility? Where do you see it constantly in him going to pray to his father? He is the son of God and yet he is constantly seeking his father's strength and his father's help for the task that his father has given him. That is poor in spirit. The prodigal son is it. Gideon is it. Ultimately Jesus is it. So, If that's the picture of it, how would you describe it? I think it's something like this. It's It's not something you feel you are. It's something you just are in the attitude, the the orientation of your heart before God. Poor in spirit is, I am powerless and empty before God. Poor in spirit is, left to myself, I have nothing in me, literally nothing that I can present to God that would force his hand to make me his child. Poor in spirit is singing, singing the words of the old hymn. I, I guess many of you will know these. Nothing in my hand I bring. How does it go on? Great. Simply to thy cross I cling. Singing that and having your heart kind of leap up inside you and say, yeah, that is exactly me before the Lord. That is poor in spirit. If you want it in one word, you might say that people are, who are poor in spirit are the people who repent. In Matthew's Gospel, uh, back in chapter 4, verse 17, we hear this. Just before our uh, verse, uh, we read this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven, there's that from our beatitude, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then in our beatitude, he describes who the people are who will enter the kingdom by repenting. It's those who are poor in spirit. There's a couple of things I think I need to say that this means. It means that being poor in spirit is not defined by your circumstances in life. It's not defined by whether you think your life is going really well or really badly right now. You can be powerful and mighty and have more friends than anybody else at school and more money in the bank than everybody else, and still be poor in spirit. King David in the Old Testament was like that. In Psalm 40, David says, As for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. That's poor in spirit in a powerful man. But you can be materially poor in life, No money, no friends, no success. And still not be poor in spirit because in your heart you will not come to God the way David did, the way the prodigal son did. But yet, although being poor in spirit is not defined by how well your life is going right now, it is influenced by it. It is so often influenced by it. 
I think we know this is true, don't we? It is very often people who have got the most friends, the most money, the best health, the biggest business success, they are often the people who find it hardest to come to their Lord God and say, I don't deserve to be your child. My sin is an offence before you. In Christ, you offer me everything I need and everything I lack, so I'm going to turn to him. They, it is often the people whose lives are going best who find it hard to, hardest to say that. I guess if someone is spending their life striking bargains, striking it rich, it can be very difficult to acknowledge that there is one person in the universe, and that is God, who you cannot strike a bargain with because you have nothing to bargain with. All you can do is hold out empty, poor hands and receive. That can be hard to do if you never do that in the rest of your life. And the other way around, it's often people from whom the Lord has taken away friends and success and businesses and money. They are often the people who find it easiest to be poor in spirit. Because they know full well that their hands are empty and it can kind of feel easier to go to the Lord and go, look, Lord, my hands are empty even before you. I, I remember from when I was a pastor that taking a funeral once, just a really tragic funeral and there was a burial after the service in church uh, and the lady who died was only in her 40s and she'd been an alcoholic for many years, effectively had, had drunk herself to an early death. And there's her husband, and there are her young kids. And I mean, it's just, what do you do? It's so tragic. And at, at the end, at the end of the service, he came up to me, and he said, these were his very words, he said, that stuff you were just talking about, about God, I'm going to need that. I'll see you on Sunday. Now, I've heard that before at funerals, and never seen them again. He showed up, and he kept showing up. And he gave himself to Christ. We should not be embarrassed that it is often when someone has had everything stripped away from them that they turn to the Lord. People who are not Christians will say, oh yeah, there you go, that proves it. It's just a crutch for the weak. I always knew that. That is, not, that is not what's going on here. It's when people have had everything stripped away from them that then they can see who they really are before God. And all the friends and all the business success and all the money was just blinding them to that. It's now they see who they have always been before God, who everybody always is before God. Nothing to offer, nothing to bargain with, just poor and empty and powerless saying, I need the forgiveness that only you can give. I know, oh, this sounds such a lame thing to say in the light of the last 18 months, but I know many people who are feeling very weak right now I mean, that doesn't even say half of it, does it? Um, in the church that Erica and I are part of, uh, there are people in the last 18 months who have had loved ones stripped away from them, had their mental health stripped away from them, had their physical health stripped away from them. It, it must be the same among you. It is often when we are poor in some way in our circumstances, poor in our minds, poor in our bodies, it is often then, isn't it, that we find the Lord is also giving us the grace to be poor in spirit, to know yet more deeply that we need him. 
that we are just dead in our sin if we have not received Christ. The last 18 months have brought many people to their knees. And it may be that in those circumstances, we can also in some way see the Lord's goodness to us as he uses that to show us again what we always kind of already knew but find it easy to forget, and that is we are poor in spirit. Easy to forget when life feels rich. Maybe slightly easier to remember when life feels very poor. Remembering that I don't do God a favour by being in his church. Outside of Christ, I lack everything. In him, I have everything. Just one last thing I want to say quite briefly. I I talked about comfort and reassurance. And someone who's a follower of Christ might be hearing this and you, you might be kind of asking yourself, how do I know this is really me? You've said every Christian is poor in spirit, but how do I know I, I, re, I really am poor in spirit? Well, let me say this. Um, people will often sort of phrase this question. I think it's a really good one. Imagine the moment when you are standing before God and he is basically asking you, why should I let you into my heaven? What are you planning to say in that moment? Everybody's planning to say something. What are you planning to say? Let me in because my parents are Christian. Let me in because I went to the church weekend away. Probably not that. Let me in because I gave a load of money to the church. You know as well as I, I do, there are people who are planning to say that sort of thing. But no, if you're a Christian, I mean, it was almost abhorrent for you to hear what I just said because that is not what you are planning to say what you are planning to say is something like yeah Lord I, I got nothing to bargain with here but Christ died for me to open up the way and I repented and trusted in him so look to him if as a Christian you are planning to say that that just is being poor in spirit for as long as you don't move away from that you, Jesus would say blessed good on you or in spirit. The task now is simply stay there. Stay with Christ. When sins come up, repent over them because that reminds you that Jesus had to die for that sin. Don't get presumptuous. Stay poor and needy in spirit, remembering that Christ became poor in every imaginable way so that we might be rich in him. Poor though we remain in spirit. Do you see a remarkable paradox in the Christian life here? We are, at the same time, full of the Holy Spirit, capital S, whom Jesus pours into us. And also, poor in spirit, small s. Because we know that in everything we are utterly dependent on him. Let me just leave a moment of quiet. That, that's enough for, just for the first talk, the evening when you've had a long day and travelled. Let me just leave you a moment of quiet, just to pray for yourself, just to seem right to you before the Lord for yourself. And then I'll close with a prayer for all of us in a moment. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we pray for ourselves that right now and, and right through this weekend, you will take these glorious, powerful, simple words that you once spoke uh, and you will write them on our minds, press them on our souls, we pray. May we repent where we need and rejoice where we should because of what you say to us. Amen.